Hey guys, we're doing another episode of MC Anime Podcast. MC here. Today I'm back with another featured guest speaker, Nat. How are you doing today? Hey, Mason. How's it going? Pretty good. Well, where can the audience find you? What do you do? And overall, tell me a little about yourself. Well, I'm somebody who really likes to eat, first of all. That's the subject of this here uh, podcast. And I just want to give you a little bit of special insight on my experiences with food across the several years I've been here. Okay, okay. What do you do? Well, for a trade, I'm a political consultant. And where can they find you? On the campaign trail. There's an election in Virginia. Generally, I'll be a part of it. How about social media? Social media, you'll find me on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Truth Social. Okay. You heard from the source himself. He won't lie about that, would he? No. Well... Some of the candidates might lie about stuff from time to time, but I have no reason to. Well, there you go. The political consultant says that don't trust all politics because they always sometimes lie to you. More than half the time, they do. So today's episode, we're going to be talking about food and self-expression. And before we get to today's episode, you can find us at podcasts near you like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, etc., we also at www.mcmapodcast.com. That's our website. We do live updates and, and everything in between. We also on Patreon at Blog MC Anime. We also just launched YouTube as an initiative to get onto the backlog. So they won't have current episodes, but it's going to have the older, fo- older episodes converted to MP4 format from MP3. So that is something to look forward to. Further today, food as self-expression. What we're going to do is look at food as four distinct categories, go through the categories, explain how the food and self-expression work in those categories, and provide correspondence with each category. The four categories that we have as food as self-expression is gratitude, cooking, presentation, and taste. I know we're going to be in a particular order, but that's how we're going to grade food and talk about how is food presented in each category? Sounds good to me. So let's go with the actual cooking of the food. Because that's... A, no, you can't mess up cooking. Cooking is, you know, what like what is the thing you need to consider when you go in that stage of cooking? Well, first off, you need to get uh, quality ingredients to make your uh, food taste good when you, uh, when you get around to cooking it. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of times... Uh, a lot of times you don't have to pay a whole lot to get good in, ingredients, but you but you really have to be careful in some cases, like when you choose uh, produce when you make a salad or, or something like that. As far as uh, as far as cooking goes, what do you want? What do you want to know about the the different about frying versus? Uh, well, yeah, you know, there's different types of cooking. There's different types of well, cooking encompasses so much. Yeah, because you got frying, you have sautéing, grilling, you know, filleting, grilling. Well, filleting is more of a yeah. uh, specific meat preparation. Okay. Well, you also have like boiling. You have baking. Yeah. You have in a pan, heat up in a pan. Yeah, that's called skillet. Yeah, you, yeah, dry a dry skillet. I, I don't generally like to do that. If I'm gonna break out the uh, cast iron mm-hmm. skillet, I'm gonna put some oil or some bacon grease in that and, and, and fry something because I'm a southern guy. Okay. So, what is like the most basic form of cooking? <sighs> well, I'd say uh, let's date back to the uh, to the caveman days. They mm-hmm. would uh, cook stuff over an open fire. The closest thing we got to that today is is uh, grilling. You got all sorts of different type of modern uh, grills. Uh, mm-hmm. One grill I saw at a hardware store the other day looked like a giant egg, but you know I opened the thing up and it looked like a uh, standard grill. Uh-huh. But grilling is the closest thing that we do today that uh, matches what the uh, caveman used to do. And you know, you think you go with grilling. There's different aspects of grilling because you can use different wood. You can That's use right. charcoal. You can use gas for a grill. All have different tastes. 
But gas, also with propane, have a distinct taste in how you cook it on the grill, too. Yeah, it does. I, In my estimation, cooking on a gas grill just isn't the same as cooking it over uh, charcoal or, or, or uh, wood pellets uh-huh. or, or in the smoker. So you, when it comes to grilling, we're going to go back to American Dad. Are you propane, gas, or charcoal? I would prefer charcoal, but that big old grill outside this <laughs> room here, sad to say, is a gas grill. What, okay, so what are you going to tell the main character from American Dad about his propane venture? Well, what I'm going to do, well, I don't... I don't really care about the guy running the propane business down, down the street. I just, I just know that meat tastes better when it's uh, grilled over real wood or uh, charcoal. And if stock in uh, Acme propane goes down as a result of this podcast, I'm sorry. But, uh, <laughs> but, but meat take, grilled meat tastes like what you grill it over. That's okay. all. That's just science. What about a hot dog and a hamburger? Which one's better on gas? Which one's better on propane? Or, or gas both, or both, or uh, pro- charcoal? Both of them taste better on charcoal. I mean, I mean, uh, food that's uh, cooked over gas don't taste like nothing. Food that is cooked over charcoal, you get more pronounced smoke flavor mm. in the. Uh, in the meat, whatever meat you're cooking. Okay, okay. So, speaking of smoke, how about smoking? What do you think that is a cooking process? What do you think about that? I like that if you have a whole lot of time on your hands, because the way to do smoking with, with a smoker, and I have one of those downstairs in the uh, carport, it, it is to go low and slow. If you got all day cook a hunk of meat, that's the way to do it. But if you want to, if you have friends coming over in an hour or so, and you uh, want to give them that smoky taste, I'd say get a hibachi and put some uh, charcoal in that, light it up, and put your hot dogs and hamburgers or whatever on that. Mm, okay. You don't have to pay six, $700 for big old fancy grills or even that $200 egg-shaped grill I just mentioned. You get like a 60 or 70 dollar cast iron hibachi put a little charcoal in that sucker uh put a little lighter fluid on it and uh set it alight and 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 then uh fire gets hot enough put your uh, meat on there and uh there you go you got yeah. yourself a barbecue party true you know another uh pastime that people really like in many different cultures is frying your food you have ramen, you have noodles, you know, you have fried chicken, you have very, eggs are mostly fried. That's the only way I'll eat mine. So, like, frying is a, is a staple in so many cultures around the world. What do you think the simplicity of frying represents? Well, frying is a very simple concept, but again, you got to uh, consider what you're frying it in. Mm-hmm. Each different oil has a different smoke point, mm. meaning uh, I, olive oil sounds good in theory to fry with, but it it doesn't have to get very hot to start smoking, and and then you then people panic. They see the smoke, they get the uh, food off the oil. Come find out it's not cooked all the way through, and that's embarrassing at a dinner party. Yeah, and. Uh, and not only that, it isn't just uh, bottled oils that, that you use. Uh, you can fry things with uh, meat drippings. Like, say, when I fry bacon up for breakfast, I save back that grease to fry other stuff with later. Okay. And you can do that for just about any meat you want to. So basically, going to biodiesel. Basically, having anything left over from cooking put in another batch... To use for another cooking is actually better. Yeah, that. I mean, I'm I'm not a big greenie, but uh, I don't well, like wasting. Well, yeah, food. that's the definition yeah. of biodiesel. Yeah. most well, bio, kitchens. Biodiesel, strictly speaking, means converting that to fuel and, and do like the city of Seattle and uh, yeah, fuel their buses off of uh, off of uh, leavings in a grease trap. Yeah, the but restaurant. most restaurants that leave the grease trap, they dispose of it, yeah. but they also take it to use it. 
You can still use that same grease to yeah. cook with. It's just not as good because it's set out. But if you if you actually p- properly store the grease, yeah, then put, you don't have the the sanitary issues that I, come with the grease trap. Yeah, I put my I put my bacon grease in the uh, in the fridge and uh, and I put it in a frying pan and it melts it melts back to liquid once you turn that heat up and uh, you, do, you do your uh, bacon grease or uh, crack a couple of eggs on that and and you. Uh, and you will uh, have your bacon flavor right in your eggs. Well, true. And, you know, the reason why frying, I think, is a really good cultural staple is because it's very easy. You have a liquid, you put that as a base, and you cook with it, and that's the base. Uh-huh. It doesn't stick to the pan. And, you know, pork chops, ramen, a lot of Chinese food is already fried. Mm-hmm. You put it into the oil, and it fries it up, and it's ready to go. Mm-hmm. And it's actually sometimes, you know, the uh, the temperature in which it rises and smokes determines how long it can be cooked. Like, for example, you go to like a potato oil that take, you know, doesn't take very long to cook. It takes a couple minutes. And it's out. Well, that, that that's uh, that's very true. But when you're cooking meat, you're trying to, yeah. to fry it. You have to reach a certain internal temperature. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not safe to eat. That's why you don't want to have an oil with a low smoke point to, to fry yeah. uh, fry things like you're doing pork chops or okay. something like that. If it's a thin piece of meat, like a strip of bacon, it doesn't need very mm. long in the frying pan. At so all. pretty much any type of oil will, will do. Mm, true. So that's frying. What do you think of, like, baking? Well, it depends on what you want to bake. Uh, I like to uh, bake potatoes. Mm-hmm. Because uh, that I would rather bake a potato than mash one. Okay. So are you good with like a convection type oven or like a more like fire based oven? I've done I've done both and uh, they both uh, they both perform well for me. Mm-hmm. I don't really have a preference in this case. Okay. All right. So when you go to like a pizza place. And they have, like, the old brick-style oven they put open face and everything. What do you think that really speaks about? Just the classic way to cook it or more like a simple, simplistic approach to cook it? I, I think that they're, uh, that they're trying to go back to the original uh, roots of the uh, cooking of uh, pizza. And I, I think it does impart a certain nostalgic flavor. Mm-hmm. And and I prefer that in, in a pizza. That's the main reason why I don't make pizza at home because I don't have the equipment mm. that uh that, that gives it that, that certain flavor. You notice you go to mod pizza, they've got that type of oven that, that, that you talk about. Some of the old school places in New York City, even to this day, in spite of environmental laws, have uh, coal-fired ovens, mm. and that and that imparts a certain different flavor on on the pizza, which I okay. would like to try, even if it means going to New York City to do it. Oh, New York City's not that bad. But okay, so that's oven-type cooking and baking. What do you think of in a pot, like a stew, like slow, you know? Just regular pot, like the pot cooking. That's that's great if you're doing something like a soup, a stew, chicken and dumplings. But it's not a good thing to to uh, not a good way to cook Brussels sprouts. Well, yeah, that's boiling. Yeah. Boiling is basically yeah. bringing boiling water, it's yeah. heating up to the point where you basically turn it. It's steaming. You're steaming right. it. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, you don't I, like I, steaming. I don't. I don't care. I don't care for it in, with uh, Brussels sprouts or too many other vegetables. I well, like to avoid cooking vegetables where I can. Where I eat my vegetables is mainly in a salad where you get the maximum nutritive uh, value of Well, you know, they tell you if you take the water from the steaming yeah. and drink it, you can still get the same vegetable content. Well, I, I don't like, I, I just don't like boiled Brussels sprouts. I'd rather mm, uh, stick it under the broiler and... Uh, you know, after uh, bathing, a little bit of bacon grease. True. I mean, the, the, the most common way 
to cook in a regular household. You have the oven, which is the baking process. Mm-hmm. You have the stove, which is either, which is two types of cooking: pan or you know a pan or pot, which is a slow cook. Mm-hmm. Steam with the boiling that you can do. You can also do the frying in the pan as well. Yeah. And then you have the microwave. What do you think about microwave cooking? Do you think it's worth it? I, I do. If you're in a hurry, you got, you got a bunch of people coming over and you need to put the finishing touches on the meal and make sure everything is is at the right uh, temperature. I think it's... I think it's uh, good as a supplemental, part of the, yeah. as a part of the uh, kitchen family, but I don't think that people should lean on it as a primary source mm. of warming. What do you think about a press, like a like a panini maker? Oh, I've had some good uh, press sandwiches. Uh, like there's this restaurant down in uh, Hampton called the the dead rise and mm-hmm. had a pressed Cuban sandwich there. Mm. And that was, uh, and that was wonderful. I haven't got a press, but what I use in place of it, when I have the urge to make that type of a sandwich, I've got a real thick book. I put on mm. top of the, uh, the, the sandwich okay. when it's in the frying pan. You put a book on a frying pan. Yeah. This is not bun? Well, no, I don't put the book on the frying pan. The sandwich is on the frying pan. I put the book on top of the sandwich to press it down. All right. Well, so the book don't catch on fire. Remember, he's not a professional cook, so just takes his wood at a face value. Well, what you could do, <laughs> if, you're, if you're into uh, masonry and happen to have a brick, the thing to do is wrap said brick in mm-hmm. aluminum foil and then put that on top of the sandwich. Yeah, true. And, uh, you know, anything that's, that's weighted, worth a book or a brick or, or, yeah. or whatever, that, that will, that will qualify as a, uh, press if you don't go to the kitchen store and, uh, get one of those fancy ones for $175. True. And I will mention, I want to say for cooking, a dryer. A dryer can actually cook decently on the food depending on what's going on. You talking about a clothes dryer? Yeah. <laughs> food theory did a theory about that. It actually had edible food from it. <laughs> well, they can do that all they want to, but since the dryer's in the laundry room and all the rest of my equipment's in the kitchen, I believe I'll leave that you can to even, them. You even cook food in a dishwasher, too. In uh, bags. Uh, Steam it was no, no, no thank you. I think I'll, uh, I think I'll pass on that. I mean, I, I'm open to trying many new things. Those two just are not it. But yeah, the, for the conclusion of cooking, the one thing that you can take from it, how you cook it and where you cook it, really depends on the dish, but also what is the purpose you're trying to cook it for. You're trying to cook it on the grill. Or have like a barbecue, that's what you do. If it's like a regular fried item, then you want to specifically like bread it, you need it fried. If you want it steamed, remember you take the value out of it and most of the nutrition go out of it, it's just not much taste to it. So just remember that different types of cooking affects the food that you eat. Now, after cooking, we have we have presentation, taste, and gratitude. Let's go to putting on the plate. Because you haven't tasted it yet. Right. Well, actually, no. Well, no. What do any great cook should taste the food? They, Let's t- go to taste. Taste the cook. Taste the cook. Taste, taste the food as it goes along. Like last night, I made uh, I made my chicken and rice. Mm-hmm. And during various um, stages of the cooking process, I make sure that the uh, rice water with, uh, with beef broth is uh, seasoned properly. And uh, as a proper kitchen, how do you do taste testing as a way to taste the food but not contaminate the food? Well, um, in the case of the uh, chicken and rice, what I do is I uh, get a plastic spoon, taste the the, uh, contents of the plastic spoon, and then quickly discard that into the dustbin where it won't uh, contaminate the food. Now, if you're doing... uh, if you're doing beef, what you do is you do a tester patty mm-hmm. to make sure that the meat that, that the meat you're gonna make hamburgers in, say, <laughs> uh, 
It's seasoned properly. Just make like a meatball size uh, thing and fry it up and, ta and taste the uh, cooked product. Mm, okay. And then you will, and then for the majority of it that remains, you will you will adjust the seasoning according to your taste or those of your friends that are coming over. So, like, how important is the taste of the food? Does it have to be a super good, or it can be bland? I think it has. I think it has to be outstanding, especially if you're cooking for other people. And for myself, I like for it to be good, too, because life is too short to have to put up with bad food. I did enough of that in college. I mean, true. So, okay, so bad tasting food. What is, like, the impression of bad tasting food that I get is burnt, doesn't taste well. Who made this? That doesn't feel like it has any spice in it. Uh, the common belief is there's no taste at all. It's just bland. Like chicken, for example, if you just straight out cook chicken without, which is just, you just use water to cook chicken. But yeah, boiling chicken. No. It has no taste. It but, only has no taste at all. Well, blandness is one type of bad food, but you can season bad food wrong. You can season food wrong and, and uh, have yeah. it seasoned wrong can make it bad. All bland food is bad, but not all bland, not all bad food is bland. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Well, so, okay, so you'd rather have a bland food than a bad seasoned food. I'd rather have neither one. I'd rather have it cooked competently. Mm. And uh, praise the Lord, my mama taught me how to properly season food so I don't ever make bad food for myself. I always feel like baked turkey is always bland to me. It has no taste. It's like dry. Well, the where they went wrong was they left it in the oven too long. God. And that's you see you got to pay attention to the uh to the time. It's important to get it to the right temperature. But the nanosecond that your thermometer uh reaches the appropriate temperature for that meat Get on them gloves and jank that turkey out of the bloody oven so it doesn't dry out on you. I mean, it doesn't take long for it to go from perfect to dry. Okay. So as a as a testing table, a critic would take taste as a really consideration for the food itself. That'd be over 60% of the, um, of the consideration. I've seen a, a lot of these... Uh, cooking competition shows yeah. on TV such as Chopped and Guys Grocery Games and a whole host of others. If your food doesn't doesn't taste good, you you're uh, you're dead in the water. If you're a uh, contestant on one of them programs, you're not getting the grand prize. Okay. So let's bring up three examples of three ways to cook. So we all have chicken. We all like chicken. Okay, mm -hmm. fried chicken, uh, sautéed chicken. And let's say baked chicken. Which one do you preferly take? Like, like the breaded fried chicken, the more the sautéed chicken, or the baked chicken? Well, being from the South, naturally I prefer fried chicken. But I I've had good sautéed chicken. Baked chicken, you really have to watch and get it out of there when it gets to the right temp mm -hmm. because it'll go dry on you uh, quicker in a minute. Okay. So how does that, like, the sautéing, how does that affect the taste in the protection of the chicken? Well, it has a, uh, it has a different flavor profile than uh, fried chicken. Uh, you sauté it in, in something like butter or mm -hmm. olive oil or, or, or whatever. And, it, you know, you don't, you don't bread and, and sauté uh, chicken. It just has a, it just has more of a buttery and unctuous flavor than uh, the, than the fried chicken mm -hmm. we okay. know. Alright, so we you talk about seasoning. So we have three types of seasoning. We have Cajun, we have seafood seasoning, and we have soup. Which season do you think is your favorite? The Cajun seafood seasoning and, and what? And soup. Soup. Soup seasoning. Mm-hmm. There's seasoning you put in soup. Black I've salt never, and pepper. I, you put some uh, parsley. You can put some other stuff. Basil. I've, I've never heard of a special seasoning blend that was for soup. 
I like Cajun seasoning, but in small doses. You put mm-hmm. too much, and and it, it just blows people' taste okay. buds away. Uh, seafood seasoning. I generally only put that on seafood. I don't put that on chicken or anything else. Okay. But even on seafood, uh, you put too much of it and it dominates the whole flavor profile mm. and you um, and you uh, ruin your dish that way by over-seasoning. Mm-hmm. All right. So how do you go about completing seasoning to complete the taste of the flavor profile? How do you well, approach that? Well, that's where uh, that's where tasting as you go along comes mm-hmm. in. You put the if you're doing a recipe for the first time, you uh, put it in little by little and and get a whole bunch of those plastic spoons to mm-hmm. uh, taste as, as you go along. And when it hits the right point uh, to your taste, then stop. Okay, so it's more like trial and error knowing when to like put it down this is ready right this is based on a, a, pre, a current taste profile that i know i had before and this is what i like so it's basically based on experience right if you follow a specific recipe the first time go go do it to the book do it yeah. like the recipe says and then if your guests say oh i think you put a little too much salt in that make Go back to your recipe book and uh, say it calls for a half teaspoon of salt. Put a quarter teaspoon in it next time. Mm. And that's little uh, tweaks like that down the line is how you make an established recipe more your own. Okay. So changing aspects of the recipe could really influence the taste more. Yes, it could. Yes, it could. uh, Because uh, sometimes you try a recipe to the book and... It's mostly right, except they called for too much mm. salt for the taste of your guests that are coming over that night. And you make a mental note or you uh, put a post-it note on the cookbook or whatever saying do uh, half the salt on the recipe on page 87 and uh, be better next time. Okay. Like my... For, well, chicken and rice recipe started out. It, it was all right when I first got the recipe, but I've made numerous tweaks over the 25 years I've been doing it, mm-hmm. and uh, I've I've got it down down to where all uh, my friends line up to uh, to want to eat it. So, what are some of the changes you've done to it? Well. The original recipe called for me putting these uh, real hot, spicy sausage in it. Mm. And if I want to put sausage in it, I'll go for the little smokies. I don't want to blow anybody's taste buds out. Okay. Another thing I did was instead of uh, doing a, a boiling straight water, I do it. I, I put a little bit of uh, beef broth in it. And a little bit, and I found at, I found at Publix this particular um, mm-hmm. oh, thing called Body of Moho Rub Citrus Blend, okay. which gives it more of a tropical flavor. Oh, so understanding the different season to put in it also can influence the texture Absolutely, and, the taste. and this can be bought for about uh, $4.29 a bottle at Publix. Okay. Body of Moho Rub Citrus Blend. And with, uh, you know, changing the profile, what do you think is one aspect of taste that people just don't get right? Well, people tend to uh, put too much, too much or too little uh, salt in it to start with. Okay. I mean, it isn't really these other exotic seasonings that they go wrong with. It's basic stuff like uh, like salt and sugar, the two basic uh, uh, taste elements. All right. So salt and pepper, that's like the basic seasoning that people put just to generic cooking. That's what probably the most, would you say the most spices used just generically? I, I I would say so. They are the they are the basic spice, and there, there's a whole host of other uh, mm-hmm. other spices, obviously, at 
One time I did a curry dish and I put entirely too much curry in it and it made the kitchen smell like it was in the middle of India for uh, three or four days. Oh, okay. That was the only cooking disaster I've really had across the uh, 35 years or so I've been cooking. Interesting. So, the how do you find the right spices blend that makes a really good taste? Well, it depends on the uh, ethnic origin of the dish you're doing. The chicken and rice that, that I do is mainly Latin American, so this mojo rub citrus blend is just perfect for it. Now, if it was uh, Mediterranean, it would uh, the spice would uh, get out more uh, lavender and and more uh, parsley and and that sort of thing in it. How about like Middle East or India? India would have more curry and things like that. Uh, Middle East, uh, they have some spices that I'm not even yet familiar with, but I'm, I'm willing to try. Okay. So, with the different spices profile of the world, what would you say would be like a really interesting cuisine that you really like the taste of? My favorite cuisine has got to be Brazilian. Brazilian? Yeah. Just straight down, the, that's the best taste profile that's consistently best, around the board? That's the best taste profile, and, and uh, here's why. Brazil has a very similar history to the uh, United States of America. They uh, brought slaves over, um, and and as a result, as a result, the slaves made do with the uh, with, with uh, lesser uh, types of meat and, and, and other foods, and their uh, their version of uh, rice and beans is uh, reminiscent of the way we do it in the uh, southern United States, only they use uh, black beans and they use quite obviously different spices down mm-hmm. there. It, it, having that, that uh, bean and, and rice dish down there reminded me of uh, growing up only the beans were red. Okay, okay. So like a like a chili bean paste, like something like that can it's be. Not, like... no, it's not a paste. The beans mm. are were were whole. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's cooking. Yeah. That's cooking with influencing taste. Taste is really important because the profile, what you get from the food, is what you really enjoy. It. You smell with your nose. You also taste it with your mouth. That's right. So the smelling profile and the taste profile go hand to hand because how you smell it dictates the memories that go along with the food. And oh, when you yeah. t- actually taste it, you actually taste it more and actually enjoy it. That is where you know, you're thankful for the food and you really get into like it being good for you. So let's talk on the subject of presentation. So how does a food should look, basically? Well, first off, you eat with your eyes first. I don't care how good the food is uh, prepared. If it looks like it was just uh, thrown on the plate, you you might could eat it, but the experience wouldn't be as mm-hmm. enjoyable. So you feel like the placement of the food, if you just sl- like go to a buffet, here, 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 prison food, they just mix all the food together. Or cafeteria food in college. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, there has to be a certain amount of love from the cook for the food to uh, the, to give the meaningful experience. Mm. Okay, it's something that you can't really you can't really put pinpoint put your finger on, but you know when it's not there. All right, so let's say you have all this food on your plate. Placement matters because having those trays, for example, they place the food. In areas where it doesn't, you know, go over much. So you think serving on a tray is good practice how to place the food, put on presentation-wise? Not necessarily. I mean, I I, I can see why school cafeterias do, do that. Saves money. They're made out of plastic. They're strong. They can take all the punishment from unruly kids and, mm-hmm. and things like that. But it's not really 
something that a home cook should use to uh, to present food to their company. Okay. You don't necessarily need fine china to do that, but just a uh, just some good looking plates. You can get them up at Goodwill for goodness sakes, and uh, and just use that. Yeah, food. Yeah, presentation in in that regard is, is very important. There needs to be a certain amount of uh, love mm-hmm. by the one who makes the food. Okay. So let's say you're uh, doing a presentation for a fancy dinner. How should it look to the people you're trying to do a really fancy dinner, like a fancy home-cooked dinner? Well, what I'd do if I had uh, Bruce and his wife over, I would, uh, the way I'd do it is I'd have the, uh, on the plate, I'd do the meat in one corner, the carb over here, and the vegetable, and if there's any, any, food that that would sort of bleed into the next i'd put that in a bowl so that the juice from say the the rice if i did the chicken Mm -hmm. and rice wouldn't bleed over into the uh into the vegetable let's say okay so you would separate it so they can so they don't get like it wouldn't a be cross a, contamination. No, it wouldn't be a. It wouldn't be something as serious as a contamination because the food is thoroughly yeah. cooked. Yeah. What it would do is affect the flavor want, profile. It would affect the flavor profile. Let's say the vegetable was uh, broiled Brussels sprouts. I wouldn't mm. want the the moisture from the uh, okay. juice of the rice to. To invade the uh, the Brussels sprouts. Okay, so it's important to not only separate dishes that could mix, but that different levels of mixture could create a totally new taste that you don't want originally for the dish. That's exactly exactly right. Okay, so we go to a fancy restaurant. Their their presentation is a little bit more strict, a little more refined. What that. Those fancy restaurants, you pay so much money for a lot of white space on mm-hmm. the plate. They don't put but a very little bit of food, and they charge you $65 a plate for that. And that's why I wouldn't eat at a fancy restaurant even if I win the lottery on Saturday night. Okay, so the proportion of the plate needs to be considered too. How much of the plate are you going to take up is an important factor. Because that determines the visual outlook. If you see a lot of negative space, you feel like you're not getting enough food. Well, never mind that. If you, uh, even if you put a little bit of food on a little bitty plate, you're going to come home uh, feeling hungry by 10, by 10 o'clock and you will pay $65 for a whole lot of nothing. No matter what it looks like on, on the uh, on the plate, you, you don't get much return for your investment at those uh, at those fancy places. Okay, so there's one way for presentation is like make it look consistent. So get like a plate that you you can fill it up and not fill as much up, but still not have the white space. Let's say you're doing like a uh, type of dish. You have like a smaller bowl. It's like one inch deep, and you put it in, and that's what they look. What I want from any type of restaurant, whether it be the Waffle House or Shea Snob, is uh, I would like the food, the amount of food, to be commensurate with the money that that I paid for it. And I don't, I don't really care for uh, sleight of hand with regard to mm-hmm. the size of the plate to try to trick my mind into not being hood swankled out of a whole bunch of money. True, but you know. If it didn't make you full, does the full does the food have to make you full every single time you eat it? Yeah, especially when it's supper and, and you uh, and you don't eat breakfast for another uh, 10, 12 hours. So what do you tell the people that doesn't make them full? Well, do they I eat would, too much. I would no. I would say I would say buyer beware. First of all, <laughs> if you don't have a whole lot, you don't have money to uh, pay sixty five dollars for a. A, a supper like that I would say I'd say either uh, go to go to a mid price restaurant or on the way back from Shea Snob I'd probably stop at the Waffle House 
to, to fill you up just to last you until morning. Okay. So what do you think of the practices to receive how much food they're actually receiving versus how it looks on the plate? Well, if I had to prioritize, I would uh, I would say give the customer um, give the customer more food. Hang how it looks on the plate. I mean, don't make it look sloppy, but I would rather uh, sacrifice presentation for more food any day of the week. Mm-hmm. And most uh, regular people uh, would tell you the same thing. Well, how do you think about rations when you only had a specific amount of food? So each plate you got. You only got like an ounce of this or a pound of this. This is all you got. I don't. We're, we're having some bad economic times, but I don't think they're that bad yet. So, do you think uh, giving specific proportions affect the presentation? Because one seems a little smaller than the other. I I just uh, I just don't uh, think that that uh, food ought to be. Uh, ought to be strictly rationed unless we have uh, something like a great depression mm, or anything like that and if a customer wants uh, more food the restaurant shouldn't uh, shouldn't bellyache or nickel and dime that well, a, lot, a lot of times when you see with proportions is packaged food they have they come in a specific container or a size of container or a portion of that's already there well, like for example, if you have a sandwich, you get a bag, you get some pretzels, you get a bag of grapes, and you can put some jelly cups in it. Well, that's, you go. Uh, that, that, that's true for a cafeteria-style restaurant. But I'm, we were talking about uh, these uh, high-dollar yeah. restaurants, and I can almost guarantee you that none of the uh, food is, is uh, pre-packaged. Okay, so let's say all food you're eating for a box, a bag lunch, is packaged. How does that affect the presentation? Well, when you're eating a bag lunch, you're not really worried about the presentation okay. because uh, you're either on a school field trip or you're on a construction site or, or whatever. You just want to eat that sandwich and drink that drink and eat them potato crisps as fast as possible and get back to your field trip or get back to your work. Okay. Okay. So sometimes uh, uh, how you present the food doesn't matter if it's for quick convenience. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you you get a bunch of nabs out of vending machines. Who cares? Okay. So with basically with presentation, what matters is, is logistically making it look either presentable or putting it in a plate of portions that seem decent so they can fit the best of both worlds. You don't want to give too little, you don't want to give too much. Now, if you give too much, that's fine. Just remember that you have less room for something else to give equal value. Well, the thing is, if you if a restaurant gives too much, a customer asks for a takeaway box, and they heat it up at home and eat it the next morning for breakfast or save it for yeah. lunch. So it's not so really you know no, there, too much. No big, I think the bigger crime it's is too when, little. Yeah, exactly. Because when you go out to a restaurant, particularly a high dollar restaurant, I think they ought to bend over backwards and make sure that our customer leaves full. True. I think, you know, that the customer has to feel at the end of the meal what we call gratitude. Right. They have to feel the fullness of the meal. They have to feel thankful having the meal, the time they spent at the meal, all of that. And that gets to the next category, gratitude. How thankful should someone be after they eat the food? It depends on uh, the quality of the food and... Um... If they have a real good uh, plate of food and they get real good service at, at the restaurant, then I think they ought to leave the uh, the, the wait staff at least a fifteen percent tip to show okay. uh, to, to show uh, gratitude. All right. So, what is a particular type of gratitude that you feel when you eat a like a country meal, like steak? pork and beans and mashed potatoes versus like well, I wouldn't feel a much soup and a sandwich type meal well that is more of a fulfilling type of meal only instead of the mashed potatoes I'd have mine baked okay uh, 
um, meal is uh, fulfilling, reminds you of your childhood and this, mm-hmm. that, and other, like what you described would me. Yeah, I would feel real good about that meal. I might even take a picture of the food if it were uh, presented well and, and, uh, and, and tell a few friends on Facebook about it. Okay. So I guess one gratitude, home cook, home cook, home cooking versus restaurant cooking. How do, where's the difference in gratitude from the restaurant and the home cook? Well, I would say the gratitude for the home cook would be more personal than, uh, than with a restaurant because oftentimes when you go to a uh, restaurant, particularly a chain restaurant or one of those high dollar restaurants that most of us couldn't afford to eat but one or two times a year, uh, it, it's, it's just not that personal, uh, hey Pierre, that was great vichy swat or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, but when, when you serve food for somebody in your home and they just, and they just eat it up and they're sorry you didn't have more, uh, chicken to chop up in that, in that, uh, nice chicken and rice with a little bit of this mm-hmm. in there. Um, that's just that's just a different, more personal thing, and this is my personal experience on this because when I serve my chicken and rice, uh, they they always leave wanting more. All right, so leaving the feeling of wanting more food or that having perfect satisfaction is one way to get more gratitude. That's right. It isn't that I skimped on anything and left them, and, and they left here hungry. They just uh, when I when I did that, when I did uh, lime chicken tacos for Matt and his wife that time, they they told me that they uh, that they talked about that meal all the way home, and that was the highest form of gratitude I think I've ever experienced in all my years of knowing how to cook. Okay, so this is the good gratitude. What do you say about the bad gratitude when they had bad food? I personally never served anybody bad food. How about what what has been your experience with bad food? The food that you have ate? Well, uh, the biggest ongoing experience with bad food in my life, as I pointed out earlier, was at the George Mason University dining hall. That food was so bad the toast had bones. Hmm. So you so basically the conclusion for bad food, if it has a not such a good taste, bad texture, presentation wise, or bad service, that can really influence the gratitude. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, I graduated from George Mason thirty one years ago, and I still remember how bad the food was. My weight at graduation was down one hundred and twenty one pounds, and I'm six feet tall. So did you gain more weight after graduation? I sure did. When I got home, I uh, I got home and uh, I started cooking for myself, or I had the advantage of having some of Mama's mm. uh, cooking. I gained about fifteen pounds in in a month. Okay, so here's a an old time gratitude for food. Lot in the olden days, you can tell someone's wealth by how much weight they had by the food they had. Mm-hmm. So does that lead to gratitude, or does it just leads to rich snobs eating more food than you? That may have been truer in the olden days, but here in the United States, you see a lot of poor fat people. Okay, so now is you know it's poor fat people. So back in the day when food was scarce and you couldn't really afford the good food, how did you promote you know potential gratitude? Like, what was a way to make food good in the quantity that you had? Well, thinking back to what Grandma told me about during the uh, Depression, you um, one thing they did was uh, they added a lot of onion to hamburger to stretch out the hamburger so that it, it would uh, it, it would last longer. Food was rationed during the uh, yeah. Depression, and spices are generally very cheap unless you go for something like saffron, which it's a whole nother topic. Yeah. But you uh, you uh, make use of your spice cabinet, and you can eat very well on the cheap. 
I don't spend a whole lot of money for food myself. Uh, I shop at Aldi, Food Line, and Publix, generally speaking. And um, I can I can make cheap food I buy at those stores. I make it last, and I make it taste good with uh, with my spice cabinet and my knowledge of cooking. I right, will. You tell people what's the basic flavor. Fl- uh, flavor profile that's good with generic spices to cook good food for good gratitude well it depends on the ethnic origin of the recipe you're cooking what spices Mm -hmm. you use first of all also depends on the the quality of meat and produce that that you uh, use in the dish okay so the different influences is the quality of ingredients, yeah. the combination of uh, authenticis- ethnicity. ethnicity to the food, also authentic preparation of the food That's goes right. a long way too. And that and that don't cost a whole lot. Knowledge of how to prepare the food right, and the uh, and the knowledge of uh, when to use and when not to use uh, certain seasonings. Can uh, go a long way to making even the cheapest food taste like it's like it came from Shea Snob. Okay, what do you think of using a cookbook? Would cookbook actually include gratitude if you do better cooking? Well, cookbooks are, are are great as guides, but I've often found out that the original recipe isn't exactly what I or the guests that I have want in the way of. Uh, cookbook might require too much or too little salt and you know a little bit of trial and error tweaking is is required to make our cookbook food good okay so within your experience how do you define the hospitality between the customer and the person providing the food well the uh the 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 uh uh, the hospitality provider has to uh, ha- have respect for the customer and also have a, a certain instinct about what the customer likes and doesn't like. And uh, that way that the, the uh, hospitality giver can uh, provide that customer the best experience he knows how. And that goes a long way in the gratitude because if you present the food in a really good, respectful way, professional manner, if it's a restaurant, then that can boost your morale. Mm-hmm. So if the food's already good, you can even have more morale for your overall state of the experience itself. Not to mention have more people make reservations to your restaurant. That helps the bottom line mm-hmm. of the restaurant. Keeps it in business even through bad experiences like the China virus stem panic we just had. True. Customer satisfaction is key in gratitude. Because if you can get there with gratitude, then you can get potential of repeat customer if you did really well. That, that's right. And... and Every restaurateur wants to uh, have repeat customers because they like to keep their lights on and, and keep in business if they may. True. Even if you're not a repeat customer, impressing that that one-time visitor customer can do a review about your business, about the food, about the stay, about the experience, to actually, you know, a good customer that does a really good review is good gratitude when it comes to the end of the day. And for every recorded Yelp review, there's uh, five or six word of mouth reviews yeah. that the uh, customer uh, gives on on, on the yeah. quality or lack thereof of a restaurant. Because if you fail in the gratitude, then you know, you it get... Works, uh, it, it works in the opposite way. Yeah. yeah. So at the end of the day... Food needs to be presented in a way that has the gratitude in order from you enjoying the food. Because the entire goal of you is to enjoy the food. Whether it's the atmosphere, whether it's the setting that you're in, you know, maybe it's the candlelight dinner that really made it really memorable, or maybe it was the process of cooking the food 
to the actual eating of the food to after eating the food you feel full afterwards. Well, speaking for me personally, I don't care a whole lot for uh, restaurants that uh, that pay a whole lot of money on the decor. Yeah. But uh, but but skimp on the quality of food. I mean, the decor is important, but that really just sets up like what the restaurant looks like. Yeah. And that just influences the atmosphere. But the actual condition of the food. It's to be able to have a conversation while you're eating the food. Yeah. Talk with people, socialize, or some people do it. They eat the food, take their time saving the food, and then talk about the experience after eating the food. Well, that's right. Uh, but I've never, um, I've never been too impressed with some of these uh, restaurants that go overboard on decor. I'll give you an example of one right here in Richmond. It's uh, Carini's Italian Restaurant right on mm-hmm. uh, Williamsburg Road. you probably eaten there. Mm-hmm. And they, I mean, they make it look like you're in the middle of Italy when you're in the east end of Henrico County and the Italian food isn't bad. It's just average. So basically going overboard, if you set up too much, can create false promises on what the food could be taste like yeah that, that yeah that's right you, you feel ripped off when you eat there ah okay so the atmosphere is important to consider in the presentation of the food now have you ever had like that one moment where they took the time just to eat the food and it was so good they were not talking at all when they're eating the food how is silence a good gratitude tool for food well i don't I haven't experienced that recently at a restaurant, but I did when I when I made something here a while back. Mm-hmm. I made some type of a of a stew. It's sort of like beef burgundy, but I made more in in a stew form mm-hmm. than than that. And I served it over um, served it over egg noodles, I believe it was, and the. And the friend I cooked it for, I didn't, I didn't hear from him for an entire fifteen minutes. He was just enjoying the, uh, the food, and I was enjoying it over where I was. And uh, it was just, luckily there was a game on TV, so it wasn't totally silent yeah. in here. But um, we, we just weren't talking to each other. We were just uh, focused on savoring that, that food and. I got lucky. I got that beef to be fork tender. Okay, so silence could play a part into the saving of the food, you're enjoying the food for the more gratitude. Because maybe that silence is needed because you just take it every moment of you eating the food yeah, you and just thinking. You're just thinking to yourself. You, yeah, you don't want to eat. I've had that so many times. I mean, just eating the food, not really doing anything, nothing in the background. I'm just eating the food. Mm. But like wanting more of the food while I'm eating it. Yeah, you don't. You don't want the end. You uh, you you hope and pray that that's a bottomless pot there. Well, with my case, I do make it a bottomless pot and I eat too much. So <laughs> there you go. Hey, I'd rather I'd rather uh, if it's a good food, I'd rather uh, eat a little bit too much and uh, reach for the mylanta a little bit later. <laughs> um, but th- that was an experience. I haven't had anything quite like that before since. I just uh, did that recipe in a particularly good way. I don't even know what I did differently. True, and that signs of the table is not the traditional signs of the table. When you have like a really strict table scene, they want no talking at all. You're just eating the food. Oh no, I'm just making this uh, and this friend. I'm nobody. Have you ever had someone that like their family was so strict, no talking at the table? Not, not in a family setting, no. But uh, sometimes at school, they would impose silent lunch if the majority of the class was bad, and you'd have the teacher standing over. Standing over, uh, vigiling over the table, carrying this big old ruler. I felt like cracking it upside her head. <laughs> Especially since I wasn't one of the ones that did bad. And I was uh, in the silent lunch uh, group because uh, the majority of class was bad. I was one of the uh, good ones. I just felt like it was a substitute teacher, too. Who was she to do this? <laughs> One of those old old uh, ladies who uh, looked like she swallowed a truckload of prunes. I see. So this wraps up food as self-expression. 
One thing that we established with presentation, taste, the cooking, and the gratitude, all are different steps you need to consider. The cooking, you want to consider what you're going to cook with, how you're going to cook it, and how that meat is best substituted for the cooking choice you make. The taste comes from the cooking mm-hmm. and the spices and what you cook with you doing the cooking process. Now, sometimes the post-cooking process can also influence taste, like temperature rising, temperature going cold. Yeah, for example, well, when you cook steaks, you need to you need to let them rest for about ten minutes so the juices can redistribute. Because if you don't do that. You might get the first uh, couple of bites tasting good, but after that, it gets to be dry. Mm. So, uh, yeah, you, the, yeah, that there are things you uh, you can cook everything right up to that point and screw up at the last minute by serving your steaks immediately after they come off the grill. That is a bozo no-no, folks. Yeah, and also. Uh, the presentation is influenced by the taste because if you have a mixture of different things mixing, it can create the taste profile. Also, mm. if you have hot and cold together, that's going to really throw it off that's for right. presentation-wise. So you want cold separate from hot as much as possible. Well, when in doubt, you don't put you don't put them on the same plate together. You put something. You put one of those things in a bowl. Yeah, and then you know with the presentation, you also have to make sure it looks. Not necessarily over full. Well, you can have it full on as much as you want. But you don't want to have so much white space on the plate that you not feel like you're enjoying the dinner. You want to have most of the plate filled up with the proportions of what the food is. That's right. Make it, make it proportional uh, to the appetite of the person you're cooking for. If you have a person that needs double that size, you might as well... Let them get seconds, because if you don't know how much they want, they know how much they want. Yeah, the way I, way I usually do is I set things up in here buffet style so that if uh, there, there are any leftovers and somebody else wants seconds, God bless them. Help themselves, you know? <laughs> so that's how presentations influence. And then also the cooking can influence presentation too, because, you know, certain cooking... You don't want it to mix over here. Well, not not only that, but if you grill something too long and your meat is yeah, it's all, all blunt. Black, yeah, that's, you, gonna, that's, that's gonna look bad on the food presentation. Yeah, it isn't, it isn't something you're gonna want to take a picture of and, and send to Aunt Lorraine. I guarantee. Oh, and also the sauce you use, what season you use, the the colors. Oh, yeah, different. Yeah, another like, thing of like I presentation. Yeah, your eyes first. I mean, you could have a. a a sauce that tastes the best thing in the world, but if it looks like Pepto-Bismol on the plate, you're going to think twice about wanting to eat it. Yeah, if it looks if it looks bizarre, it might be bizarre. And there's some colors you, you really don't want to see on, on a plate. You don't want something that's this shade of blue. Yeah, you definitely don't want a, like a weird bright blue. Because that just looks like it's it, the food's bad. No, it looks more like you got toothpaste on the plate. Oh, that too. <laughs> so that's presentation. And the last thing is gratitude. Feeling the, the satisfaction of eating the food. Feeling thankful for having the food. Having an experience that basically makes it fulfilling, enjoyable. That makes it part of the memory of eating the food with you being there and afterwards. That's right. Um... Good common sense cooking, good preparation, good presentation makes for an experience that folks are going to talk about on the way home when they leave your house. And hitting all those different areas is important because you're going to consider what type of food you're making, so what type of cook you're going to do it with, how is the cook going to influence the taste, is the taste going to be good, is it ethnically correct to the taste? Is it a totally different version? If it is a totally different version, have test tasters. They always do really well. Uh, you know, the presentation could be influenced by, you know, maybe if you put the green beans over here and you put, like, the mashed potatoes right beside it, but there's mixed potatoes and the, the green beans and the mashed potatoes mix, they might not look so appealing as they were before. 
No, you only worry about that, really, if you have one of those chop judges come over your house. Yeah, that doesn't look good either. Yeah. And then, you know, the gratitude, by the end of the day, you want to, that was a good meal, I had a really good time, I met up with this friend, we shared this meal together, it was excellent, the service was just beyond what they could be, the waitress was super funny, they were super likable, yada yada yada. That's what gratitude is. So to sum this all up, food is important to taste good, to look decent on the plate, fulfillment, cooking is part of the enjoyment of preparing the food, and finding the, the entire experience sharing with someone else or yourself for the actual everything about the food coming together afterwards. Any closing thoughts? Um, yeah, just uh, just keep it real and with, with uh, spices, presentation, don't don't go overboard. Just just keep it simple, and a lot of times you will uh, you'll do the right thing in the kitchen. Yep, trust your instincts, because sometimes if you trust it, the food will be okay. That's been my experience across thirty five years of cooking. And you know what? If it, the recipe tells it, uh, do a little bit. Of it, eyeball it. You know, sometimes that actually was not good for you. I wouldn't do that the first time. I would do, it, I would do that. Um, I'd do that after you get comfortable with the recipe. Yeah, familiarity with the recipe, with the cook, you, you the, the food you're cooking can be a really good thing. All right, guys. So this wraps up food as a, a self-expression episode of the podcast. Thank Matt Nat for being here. Thank you so much. Oh, you're quite welcome. I love doing it. Uh, where they can find you? Well, find me on uh, Facebook, you know, facebook.com forward slash small town southern man at uh, on uh, Truth Social and Twitter. I have the same handle at wreck of old 97. That must be good for you to have Twitter back with Elon Musk. I never was put off Twitter. Yeah, I know. All right, guys, you can find the podcast for the podcast near you at. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music. We're also on YouTube. That The backlog does not have the current episodes, so it's going to take a couple months to back everything up. And the current podcast is still going to be ahead, so don't expect that anytime soon to catch up. And for overall, we're on www.mcanimepodcast.com. Again, that's www.mcanimepodcast.com. M-C-A-N-I-M-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com for mcmapodcast.com. We also have blog MC Anime, where you can do crowdfunding and donations of different tiers to support the podcast and keep it up running. If you like my correspondence, that should be just enough to keep on going. All right, guys. Bye and enjoy your day.